Well, wherever you are, if you're listening in the United States, you're able to listen because of the fact that people like my nephew, Colin, who, oh gee, is on a submarine as we speak in some unspecified location. Norfolk, Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) Connecticut. Floating around the ocean. Might be. Do you think they have windows on subs? You know, like on a cruise ship where you can... You know, you get like, hey, I got the window cruise thing. I got a balcony. I mean, I guess it wouldn't be good to have a balcony on a on a submarine, but but maybe a little porthole so you can look out and be like, oh, yeah, it's still dark under here. It's, uh, well, we're really low. It's still pitch black. Pitch black at 1,000 feet below the water line. Yeah, if somebody gets a suite on a sub, there was a big mistake that was made. In the- <laughs> you're, on the, you're on the wrong cruise ship. <laughs> on the side of that. So on behalf of OG and I and... Our friends at Navy Federal Credit Union, we'd like to salute our troops before we start the show. Let's all go stack some Benjamins, people. In a world where overspending, debt, and keeping up with the Joneses rules us all, where the voices from the merchants, restaurants, and credit companies lord over the common man, out of the darkness, like a beacon of hope, comes a new voice. A voice that's rich and creamy, like your favorite butter, and delicious, like cheeseburger pizza on your diet cheat day. It's The Stacking Benjamin Show. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I can't wait to retire to some white sand beach in the Caribbean. Or is it the Caribbean? It's probably the same place. Anyway, apparently, according to today's discussion, retirement might not be quite that easy. Here to discuss 10 lessons for a better retirement, we welcome from Sensible Money, CFP Dana Onspock. And... This guy is just waiting to retire under the streets of Los Angeles. From LenPenzo.com, it's Len Penzo. And from this podcast, he's probably fueling up his airplane to fly away and retire from the basement for good. It's our own resident CFP, OG. Plus, during our Friday FinTech section, we'll learn about a company that's created a place to store key information so it's ready if the worst happens. They have a new book called If You're Hit by a Bus from Everplans. Let's say hello to Abby Schneiderman and Adam Seifer. And finally, we'll magnify Scott's money and I'll share some of my stellar cookie-related trivia. And now, a guy who could really use some good time on a very, very, very distant beach for a while. It's Joe Salcihai. cannot wait until vacations start again. That's going to be such a great day. Hey, everybody. We do have a little bit of a vacation from work coming for most of you because it's Friday. Let me be the first to welcome you. Did I already introduce myself? I think I did. I'm Joe Salci. I average your money on Twitter. I'm going to do it again just in case because it's Friday and I can't remember. But I do remember the guy across the card table from me. It's Mr. OG. Did I introduce myself twice just now? Uh, now you've done it four times. You're totally but, not uh, listening. You weren't listening, were you? You have no idea. I heard the fuel the jet part. 
And uh, I was daydreaming. Your, bla- your brain was already on a jet plane out of here. I was, I was, uh, I was on departure. That's right. Yes. Ready happy, to talk some Friday. retirement this week? I am uh, ready to retire. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, Anytime let's. You're ready to do it? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to make an announcement. This is the last episode of the show. This is it. Maybe. Well, a guy who we're just waiting to retire any day now. Let's check in on his retirement clock. Mr. Len Penzo joins us. Dude, are you there yet? Have you have you written the letter to boss woman or man yet? It's coming, Joe. It's we're in the home stretch here. Yes, I've uh, you know, I was just my son actually is cooperating now. He moved out of the house uh, this week here. So, of course, you know what that means, right? I've uh, it means it means train set. Yes, that's right. It means the train set is coming out of the closet. And uh, so the retirement fun stuff is already getting set up. Do you know how much coping, by the way? So I went away to college. I remember coming back home one time and my mom has turned my bedroom into her sewing room. Like the first, I, I'm just out the door. And you know how much coping went on in my head, Len? Is your, is your son going to have problems? You know what? He came back yesterday for dinner. We had family over and, and uh, he came by and he looked at his room and there's bench work all around his room. He couldn't, he couldn't sleep in there anymore if he wanted to. <laughs> dad's, dad's made it clear. <laughs> this is what we get that bench work up three days after he was out of the house. This sounds like you a, pick your 12 year old out. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's 14. Come on. They could live on their own at 14. Len, is this what happens in the average Italian family? Is that the deal? We just <laughs> boot you on the street when we're tired of you? That's it. It's like, get out. You know, hey, look, I've been waiting. I've been waiting five years for this. So <laughs> I've been patient enough. <laughs> well, I thought between you retiring soon and our guest of honor today who helps people in retirement, we're going to have a great discussion. Of course, OG Works with people in retirement all the time. Dana Onspach from Sensible Money's back to save the show. It's about time, Dana, that you're back. Thanks, Joe. I love being on the show. You guys crack me up. Well, you crack us. It's likewise. I'm like, where's it? I told you when we got ready to record, we had to get our Dana fix again. So tell everybody about what you do because it's very germane to today's topic. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Sensible Money helps people transition into retirement. Most of our clients are in that 55 to 65 age range, and it's our focus. It's what we do. I also have a course that just came out on the great courses called How to Plan for the Perfect Retirement. And we walk through all of the different phases, even late retirement phases, 70s, 80s, some things that we don't always think about as we're planning the early phase of retirement. But those later phases are becoming more important as people live longer and longer, aren't they? They are. And, you know, I just got the most heartfelt email from a client who's facing downsizing and talking about what he's going to do with a lifetime of accumulated stuff and how to decide what to do with it and what to keep. And you could feel it tug on your heartstrings as you read this email and thought about all those decisions they're facing. That's amazing. Hand it to uh, Len. He's got a free room now. Just tell him to give it to Len. No, actually, actually, I don't have a free room. It's taken up by, by starting Choo Choo Train. Len's already like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've, we got a great show today. We're talking retirement planning. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. 
State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Dana Onsbox here, Len Penzo's here, OG's here, so let's get rolling. And our piece today that uh, will inspire a conversation, I think we're going to really not spend a lot of time on this, but if you want to follow along, head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. We'll also have links to all of our roundtable participants today. But it's retirement planning, top 10 learned lessons. And this couple, Dave and Colleen, retired from Canada down to uh, the Caribbean. These start off really as I think what we think of guys as soft subjects and then toward the bottom get really meaty as we go. When I first read this and what shocked me was point number one on this uh, list of 10 was you can retire at the same time, which I thought, what the hell is that about? And then I read it. The piece says many people recommend not retiring at the same time. Dave and Colleen found that being able to support each other and work on their new life together was very valuable. So Dana, we'll start with you. This idea of retiring at the same, do you hear that a lot? Don't retire at the same time? I've never not really heard don't retire at the same time, but there's often logistical factors that make it easier if one person retires first. You know, sometimes it's because of health care. One person can work longer until the younger spouse is age 65 because they get health care coverage. It can be qualifying for pension benefits. It can be simply because they want to ease into retirement and get used to it. And having both people suddenly in the same space at the same time kind of makes a, some people go nuts. So I've heard all kinds of practical reasons why you may not want to retire, but I would never tell someone not to if they want to make it happen. In many cases, yeah, it's possible. But you do think it's an easier transition is what I'm hearing. If one person retires at a time, you kind of get your feet wet a little bit. If there's an age difference, it, it all depends on the history of the couple. You know, if one's worked from home or isn't working right now, then you don't have that kind of constraint. So it's hard to say if it's easier. I think it just depends on the history of the couple. I'd say explore your options. See what's going to work for you. Len, I often wonder about that, knowing you and knowing the the honeybee. Dana talks about couples that maybe got along great. All of a sudden, they're together all the time. Have you guys talked about Len being home all the time? Well, Len is home all the time, <laughs> you know, from the, since the that's, COVID that's, thing has come along. I didn't along. think about that. Yeah. So we've, gosh, it's been a year, more than a year that we've been, I've been home. And, and so basically we are already trial running 
the retirement, really. And it hasn't been a problem, thank goodness, you know, so that's a good thing. But I can see where, you know, retiring, like Dana was saying, I, I can see some advantages of not retiring at the same time for the very reason she mentioned. It's like, you know, you might want to maintain one spouse's health care, for example. I mean, that's one thing that I'm, you know, when I retire, you know, the honeybee's a stay-at-home mom, so I'm the only health care option here. So my work's providing it now, which is nice. But when I retire, I have to pay. So, but I could see if you had two incomes, you might want to say, Hey, maybe your spouse, mm. can you hang on for four or five more years to cover those healthcare benefits? So I see people that go get part-time jobs that just have health benefits. If they don't have them, I'm thinking my father-in-law even went and drove a bus for a while. Love being around kids, went and worked at the local school system, just driving a bus so that he could keep uh, some health benefits. Yeah, that's a smart idea. You know, and I wonder, and I'm not, this isn't a joke. I mean, I'm wondering if like places like Walmart, does Walmart have health benefits? I, maybe they do. Cause I remember my dad too, after he retired, he got little side jobs. He did all kinds of things. One of the things he did was he wanted to be, he truly wanted to be a Walmart greeter. And he was for, I don't know, maybe two years and he really enjoyed it. And, you know, so I'm just thinking, you know, there, that's a great idea, Joe. I didn't even think of that, but yeah, that's for extra healthcare, if you can find a job that's providing that on the side, fantastic. Have you yeah, seen? Yeah, I have a client. Can I jump in for a sec? No, so. heck no. <laughs> I am jumping in, whether you like it or not. <laughs> I have a client that moved to a ski resort area. They sold a business for several million dollars, and she got a job as an admin assistant so that she could cover their health insurance until uh, they're both Medicare age, and they get free ski passes too. So they well, love it. I bet if they sold it for several million, they like the free ski passes better than the fact that she <laughs> makes a wage. Yep. They, but they don't tell her boss that. They're like, we, we wouldn't tell you that we would have done this just for free ski passes. Like uh, what that old Seinfeld with Kramer and the coffee, right? I want to go back for a second to this getting used to being with each other all the time, Len, because I think that this is something people don't think enough about. You and the honeybee, when you first were home, did you guys still have this kind of getting used to each other, being in each other's way a little bit time? Gosh, you know, I don't know. We're, I mean, this is going to sound, I mean, we're so compatible that I, I'd say no, Joe. I mean, we, it, it wasn't a problem at all. It really wasn't. Um, this is what I, I mean, feel like we should have her on the podcast. Because she's going to say, we certainly, because Len's going to say, no, we're completely compatible. And I know her well. She's going to go, yeah, Len, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I just, Len's just no, completely it oblivious. It wasn't, it was not a problem. It was, it was not. I, yeah, I wish I could say something different, but yeah, well, it hasn't been a problem. Thank goodness, you know. Let's move on here to the second thing, which is the stress doesn't go away. OG, oh, you and I talk about this on the show all the time. People see retirement, the gate of retirement. Like all of a sudden the stress goes away. Life is just uh, rainbows and unicorns. And this piece, spoiler alert, seems to make it look like that might not be the case. Tell me this piece is wrong. It's the same thing about every sort of other goal that you've achieved in your life. When when you graduated college and you were making 40 grand and you said, gosh, if I could just make 80, things would be perfect. And then you made 80 and you thought, well, 80 is nice, but 120, that'd be otherworldly. I'd have so much money, it would be insane. And 120 came and went and 150 came and went and does your net worth continue to grow? And I like calling clients when they hit milestones and net worth, you know, if I catch it right about the same time, you're like, hey, 
you just put a comma, another comma in your net worth, or you just put, you know, a comma in your net worth. Sometimes that's, it went from negative to positive. Congratulations. You know, and it's not like people are like, Oh, okay, cool. You're like, Oh, okay, fun. So that's it. All the stuff that goes on in life still exists. You know, we live in Texas, so we just had that big cold freeze here for, you know, we had winter just like we do every year. Last this year, it was a couple of weeks ago and you still have to deal with stuff. Pipes froze and you gotta, it's just, you don't hit retirement and then everything is just roses and sunshine. I guess maybe unless you move to like Barbados or something, it'd probably be just roses and sunshine there. But <laughs> if I only move there, but it'd been stressful, roses and sunshine, apparently. It's just different. You know, you get rid of work stuff. So you don't have work anymore, but now you have other things, other responsibilities, whatever they may look like. The volunteer work that you have to do. They're, my after school activity we talk about from time to time is in full effect right now. It's not pro bono, but it's, you know, I pay a little bit for it, but it's not anywhere commensurate to the amount of time I spend, but it is stressful. I love doing it, but it's full of stuff that has to get done on a weekly basis. It's not a laissez-faire type of activity. And I think that's what a lot of people think is cross this magical line of retirement or financial independence and nothing else has to happen. It's like, no, stuff still happens. Do you think that's like a life secret that that's just kind of the human condition, OG, that we we're just made to worry. It's what we do. So it's never going to go away. Yeah, it's a Scott Peck novel, not novel, I guess, the, the you know, this book. The it's Robot a novel Travel. idea from Scott Peck. <laughs> it, it certainly was. Right in the late 70s, what's the first sentence of it? You remember? Life is hard. Life is, life is difficult, right? Yeah. And once you've figured that out, like everything else becomes easy. That's true. I had a teacher remind me that one time. I may have to, maybe I'll tell that story later. Ooh, uh, I have a good story about that sort of stuff too. I, I would, like it. Ah, uh, maybe later maybe for later. that one too. Number three on this list then, Dana, and I feel like number two leads directly into this. Stress does not only go away, but the piece says you should have your hobbies and projects set up ready. It kind of sounds a little like you should know what you're retiring to instead of retiring from. But what kind of things happen when you don't have those hobbies set up, when you see people go into retirement and they haven't thought about that much? Sometimes they go back to work. Oh, I, I have seen that, not as often as you might think. Most of the people I see really enjoy retirement. If they didn't have their hobbies set up beforehand, they will often take that first year of retirement to explore and figure out what are their hobbies going to be? What is it they want to do? I see people volunteer at animal shelters or at the library to teach reading. But I see a lot of happy retirees that spend more time with their family. So it's involved in seeing the grandkids. This year, they've been homeschooling for their children. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's been a godsend for a lot of people when they had family that could come over while, while the parents were still working. They had grandparents who were planning on traveling, but that, that all went out the window and they spent their time mentoring and tutoring. And, and so, yeah, I, you know, I think if you don't have all of that set up, you spend some time feeling lost. Or spend that time exploring and figuring out what is it that you're going to do that's going to give you that sense of purpose. And, I was going to ask you that. Do you see people have more problem with the money aspect, like the fuel aspect, or do they have more problem with coping with the fact that I'm now retired and I'm not going into work every day? I don't know that. I'm probably lucky. I don't really see people have a big problem with either. Oh, good. <laughs> so, you know, for the most part, they're retiring because we worked through the money aspect. We spent years working through it. And so they feel a sense of ease that this is going to work out and they're ready. 
all I do is help people retire and I love it. And yet I think about it sometimes I have zero desire to retire myself. I love what I do. So maybe that's why, but when people reach that point where they're burned out and they're really done, it just seems like they're ready. And I routinely hear how happy they are, how much they love not having the alarm clock or having the free time to to do what they want to do with their day. We know that, Len, you've thought about uh, not having that alarm clock. (laughs) I know you well enough to know you've thought about that. But what else have you thought about when it comes to the second you hang it up? Well, honestly, and this is going to sound this is going to I know people are going to be screaming after I say this, but I'm going to worry about will I have enough money, (laughs) even though I got my number and I've run the numbers and I've said, yes, I do. I'm going to feel like I don't have a safety net anymore. And that, that safety net is the income coming in. You know, when, when you get into your, your fifties and you're, you're long in your, into your career and, and your salary's gone up, 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 you know, just the thought of losing that is, uh, I mean, that's going to be, that's going to take some getting used to because right now it's like, you know what? If I want something, I don't even give it a second thought. I go off and I go get it. But I know when I'm retired, I'm going to say, well, now it's a little different now. The income's not coming in like it used to. And I know I've saved for retirement, but can I really afford to splurge on a trip or can I go off? And so, I mean, that's what I'm truthfully, that's going to take some real getting used to for me. Do you see that much, OG, that getting used to the fixed income is hard for people? Well, what I was going to say is that uh, Len's experiencing the same thing that all really good savers and investors run into you get to the spot where you're in your mid fifties and you've saved all the money that you need to save. You've did all the work, you've figured it out, calculated it nine ways to Sunday. There's no possible chance of you running out ever. And then you say, yeah, but those idiots are still paying me, you know, whatever the number is, right? $200,000 a year. Like I'll just keep doing this for a little while longer. And it's, and it's not because of the fact that you need it. It's just because you go, but why, because of all of your behavior up to that point has led you to make that decision of why would I stop doing this when they haven't figured it out yet? They're still sending me 20,000 a month. (laughs) (laughs) We'll live for 30 years, you know, or whatever your number is. I love how you use these numbers. They're still paying Len 2.6 million a year. Right. (laughs) I mean, I didn't want to give away the real number. Well, I was going to say that's not even his full time job. That's just for this podcast. Yeah. Honorarium. That's what we call it. And look at the look at Dana's eye now. She's like, he's going to pay 2.6. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Number five, Dana, you said that you haven't had issues with coping, but I am wondering about number five, but I feel my dad had a real problem with number five on this list, which is people at your old job really do not care you're gone. Uh, In fact, I think my mother-in-law also had real coping issues with that. She would go back to the office and immediately realize that she's in the way. Like for her, it was, hey, I'm going to go back and see my old friends. Like, hey, good to see you. Can you go away? Because we got to go work. And uh, do you see that type of coping when people retire? I haven't seen it. I haven't had a single client tell me they went back to the office to visit. So (laughs) (laughs) not one. (laughs) You're truly working with these people that that work in either crappy places or 
They're ready. I think they're just ready. Um, some of them stay in touch with coworkers. Some have coworkers that retired around the same time as they did. So they might have another couple that they vacation with or travel with or go to dinner with. But for the most part, I have not heard any of my clients talk about going back to work unless they were doing some consulting on occasion. And that was because they got bored <laughs> in most cases. Len, you going to feel like yeah, there's uh, a group. There's this, well, am I? No, I'm going to walk away and that's going to be the end of it for me. But there is a group where I work of old guys, old engineers, and they meet, gosh, every month at least they go out and they have, you know, lunch together and they, they stay in touch that way. But yeah, so I know a lot of people do feel they want to stay connected. Which is why it's important that as you're thinking about financial independence, you're thinking about retirement, you have to have that network of stuff that you're going to do and the people that you're going to hang out with. You look at the time that you spend right now, if you spend it all at work and on work meetings and with work people, and all of a sudden those things aren't around anymore, who are you going to go to dinner with? Or who are you going to, if all of your travel is work travel right now, I mean, obviously not right this moment, there's no travel, but you know, if that's your vacation, hey, we go to work travel and then I stay in Hawaii for a couple of extra days with my work buddies, all of a sudden you take away that stuff. Like now what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to, who do you play golf with? You know, you can't call your buddies Tuesday at noon who you used to work with to go play golf. They're, they they got work to do. My dad had that issue retiring from General Motors at a fairly young age because he started young. He got his 30 years. He had enough money, decided to retire at a younger age than most people do in his early 50s. And he immediately, not immediately, but within a few years, because he was hanging out with other retirees who were 10 and 15 years older than him, immediately he, he started getting aches and pains. I knew his, you were going to say that. <laughs> that his older friends were having. And we actually had to have a little bit. And I remember meeting some of his friends. I'm like, holy crap, dad, these guys are way older than you, like way, way older than you. And uh, he would like do the creaking noise as he got up from the table. <laughs> and I think at first it was funny, but then later on, he, he, I think really started feeling it. So had to watch out for um, early retirement being not a great thing that way. I love the idea of figuring out who you're going to hang out with. I want to ask you about number seven on this, by the way, number six on this list is take time to participate in volunteer work. I think we talked about that being a member of your community is so important to OG's point. Number seven, have a small nest egg for the first year outside of your budget. Dana, is this is this super important as you're getting the budget together and figuring out your fixed income? Like maybe you're going to overspend, maybe underspend, so have some flexible money? Absolutely. I think it ties into what Len said about getting used to, you know, living on a fixed income or not having that salary that you think of that salary as a safety net. Having that extra cushion helps ease the, well, what if I want to do this? And a lot of people are used to living off a base salary. They get bonuses or stock options or something extra each year. And they're used to that funding, you know, the trip or the new toy or, you know, the second home or something like that. And now you don't have those extra big chunks unless you pull them out of your portfolio. And most people aren't going to do that. So having that extra pot set aside, having more cash reserves, it gives you that sense of freedom that you're used to. Which is wild because we see people here with a lot of people that like to do a lot of their own planning. We see them try to, as you've seen, Dana, they try to optimize everything, which means less of that flexible money. I think you're applying that might be the wrong way to go. Wrong way to go. We leave a certain amount of money out of a client's financial plan. We call it a reserve asset. 
for exactly these reasons. And we tell people, if I had to use everything you own and all your financial accounts to make your financial plan work, it's not a good plan. You know, there's going to be something that came up that we didn't think of or expense or something you want to do. So we have to have a pot of money set aside that is for those extra things. What about OG? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that's what I've done is for next year, I've got the plan is to have one one year's expenses, not my salary, but one year's expenses right now at the rate we're spending as cash reserve. That's our little reserve before I even start tapping into any of my investments or anything like that. So that's the first year is just, it's just cash. So that's the plan. Yeah. So, and you're lining the walls of the, of the bunker with it as you speak. Yeah. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, OG, it says a truly fixed income after years of increasing income takes getting used to. Have you seen people have trouble getting on rails, I guess, to put this pretty bluntly? Well, if you've got a fixed income, as in a pension that doesn't rise with inflation and Social Security that barely rises with inflation, I think that you're going to find out in a pretty quick hurry that that inflation monster will eventually kick your butt. Thankfully, the last decade or so, there really hasn't been a lot of that. But that's not the norm. You know, the norm is that prices double every 20 or 25 years. And so if you're thinking, hey, I'm 60, I'm going to retire today, the same same amount of milk, bread, cheese, gasoline, travel, whatever that you want to buy on your 85th birthday is going to cost twice as much. So you need to make sure that you have a, an income that's rising throughout retirement, not one that's fixed. And um, and if you do have a fixed income to start and that's all you're going to have, you better make sure that there's some buffer in there because you're going to need to start either ratcheting up that spending plan because of inflation or if you use every dollar the day you retire, like Dana said, if you don't have any fluff then you're going to have to start cutting back. Number nine on this list, OG, is take realistic life expectancy into account when planning. Do people usually plan for too short a life or too Mm -hmm. long a life or in the middle? Well, I think that most people look at life expectancy through the eyes of the people that they've seen around them, namely their parents or grandparents or maybe aunts and uncles and say, well, you know, grandpa died at 81, dad died at 79, you know, or whatever it is. But the facts don't point to that. I mean, healthcare is getting better every year, uh, notwithstanding the last year, which obviously had a had a pretty significant impact on life expectancy for a for a group of people. You know, our life expectancy in in, in our country's gone up by whatever it is six or seven years over the last thirty years, and doesn't show signs of changing. You know, it's going to continue to get longer and longer. Healthcare is going to get better and better. So I think you're playing with fire if you try to re- retire assuming that you're going to die the same time that grandpa did, who, by the way, had siblings who died of polio. That's not a thing anymore, a whooping cough. Like that's, you know, that, that affected that life expectancy. Grandpa made it, you know, to 90 and half of his tranche of people died before they got to five, you know? So it's just kind of a weird thing to consider. But uh, from a planning perspective, we use a hundred for everybody. You can't convince me of otherwise. And and I think in the pretty near future, we're going to be using 110. Dana, what kind of life expectancy do you guys use? It depends on the client. We will often ask about their health history. We will default males to 85 and females to 90 and then extend that. But a lot of it depends on how old they are when we start working with them. So as they age, we extend their life expectancy. 
So I mean, I have clients that are 80 years old, and of course, we have them living to 100. And our philosophy is more like if the next 30 years of your plan meets all of the parameters and the tests that we want it to meet, then every year we roll it forward a year. We're always testing forward 30 years. I don't need to start off on day one planning for a 40-year time horizon. But a story came to my mind of a client that had some heart problems and he insisted, we actually had his life expectancy longer for other reasons. He insisted we shorten it in his plan. So we did. And then all of a sudden, this last meeting, he feels like he's doing a lot better. And now he wants us to lengthen it again. <laughs> so it's interesting how people's current health status impacts their thoughts on all of this. And I agree with OG. We have to plan for a worst case scenario. Like our job is not to say, well, okay, yeah, you're, you have enough if you pass at 85. It's, well, you know, what if you're here at 95 at 100? We need to make sure you're okay. You know, number 10 on this list is retire as soon as you possibly can. And I, I kind of agree with Dana that, hey, I like what I do. I'd love to do this forever. If I die right after we finish a podcasting session, that's fine by me. And I'm 98 years old. But a truly as long as it's not during a podcasting session, <laughs> that'd be so awkward for me. No, dude, but if I'm going Joe? for ratings, that's when you Joe? die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's all right, folks. That'll be the last Stacking Benjamin show, and uh, looks like Joe is dead. So, did you guys see that podcast? <laughs> you guys see that podcast where the dude croaked right on the but I want you guys to each answer this question for me. A really good financial plan includes blank OG. Copious amounts of equities. <laughs> the more, the better. Ever so, it must be thus. No, I mean, seriously, like that's probably one of the biggest risks, I think, for most people in retirement is too conservative, too early, and that the rising costs of, of life getting away from you and having to make some sacrifices later. And if you've done it correctly and you've built out a retirement plan that's going to outlive you, right? Your money is going to be around way longer. Why in God's name would you want that to be conservative? Because you just changed the time horizon of that money. If you're not going to use it in 30 years, someone else is going to use it 30 years after you. Now you have a 50 or 60 year time horizon. Why would you do anything other than other than owning companies? You know, OG, I, I mean, talking about being conservative and all that, you know, one of the things I've done, and actually my plan is based on this actually, is my plan assumes no social security. And it's like the worst possible case. So it's all on me. There's no outside income that you might totally depend on like social security. So when I've run all my numbers, everything depended on could I get by without social security? So I ran my numbers without that. That's gravy. And I think everybody should take that into account. A really good retirement plan works conservatively. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Dana, you've got the last word. I'd say flexibility. A really good retirement plan includes flexibility. So life doesn't stop when you retire. We talked about that when we started. You'll want to move. You might move to a different state. You might upsize. You might downsize. You might have new family members. You might go through health problems. You might take up a new hobby. You might want a boat. You might want to, you know, there's all kinds of things I've had clients email and call and want to talk about that we could have never built into their retirement plan on day one. So life keeps happening. Change keeps happening. So I would say flexibility. You have to have a lot of flexibility. Well, stackers, Navy Federal Credit Union understands that whether it's a deployment, your EAS day or retirement, life in the military comes with all sorts of financial challenges. 
And they're different for you than they are for many people that don't have the experience that you have. And that's why we are such fans of Navy Federal Credit Union. You can learn some great savings tools and tips from Navy Federal Savings Learning Center. If you just go to NavyFederal.org, what you'll find there is a link to the Savings Learning Center. Super easy, by the way. They ask you about three questions Then it curates a list of the topics that you're probably most interested in. But don't let that stop you. You can learn about so many different things at NavyFederal.org. So whether you're saving for college, it's retirement, getting your rainy day fund together, just getting that muscle built, you know, after a year of uncertainty like we just had, rebuilding that muscle right? And having that discipline of savings, just learning that or focusing on whatever your long-term goal is, Navy Federal can help you start planning. In fact, they also offer free savings accounts for your every need. So if you need different buckets for your different goals, do it all right there. There's so many different things to know. If you want to save with a credit union that helps you build financial confidence, find out more at NavyFederal.org. Navy Federal is federally insured by NCUA. Well, at this point in the show, this is where we have our Friday FinTech segment, a good idea on your computer or maybe on your mobile device, wherever it might be, that uh, is a good idea to help you with your financial planning. And today we're going to talk to actually some authors. They have a new book out called In Case You Get Hit by a Bus. However, they're also the creators of a site called Everplans. And this is a place where you go and make sure that all the stuff is in one place. You know, where's the will at? Where's the, where's the keys to the cabin? Where's, where's everything. So let's say hello to the creators of Everplans about hopefully not getting hit by a bus, Abby Snyderman and Adam Seifer. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's Abby and Adam. How are you two? Hey, Joe. We are good. How are you doing? Well, I'm great now that you're here because we never get to talk about this stuff. And when we do talk about it, it always seems like it's in a it's in a dark, horrible way. We're thinking about the end of life. But what amazed me about your book, and this is this I really want to be my first question. You guys point out at the beginning of your book immediately that this isn't really a dark subject. This is about life. This is much more about freedom and and happiness than it is about darkness. Who wrote that passage, by the way, in the book? Which one of you wrote it or was it Gene, your co-author? It was probably a combination of Gene and Adam and I. I think that this is a concept that's really near and dear to our hearts. Um, It's actually the whole reason why we started the company, Everplans, which is that this whole topic shouldn't be scary. It's not fair that the one life stage that everybody has to go through is commonly seen as being scary and tough and overwhelming. And we wanted to change the whole game here. We wanted to make this topic approachable, relatable, human. And what we realized is that getting your affairs in order getting organized, making sure that your family has access to everything that they need is not about death. It's about life because you can sleep better at night now, knowing that you've done everything you can for yourself and for your family. 
To your point, Abby, I was uh, talking to a friend last night and we were talking about a professional billiards player I just read had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I had this morbid thought, Abby, that really we're all terminal, right? <laughs> to, to your point, we're all going through it. We just don't know when it's going to happen. So if we get hit by a bus, I get better to be ready now. Yeah. yeah. We like to think of it as something that ought to be just part of people's ordinary day-to-day lives. When you go to buy a car seat for your kids, you're not thinking about accidents and injuries, right? It's just an ordinary everyday thing to do because you're a good parent and and that's what good parents do. And we think this type of planning is is really the same kind of thing. You don't have to address your mortality in order to just get your stuff together. And you never know when you're going to get hit by a bus, right? I mean, the whole world was just hit by a bus in the form of a pandemic over the past year. You never know when the unexpected is going to happen and and what that unexpected thing is going to be. And you hear stories all the time in the news about a major celebrity in a speeding car accident or a helicopter crash or I mean, things happen that are completely unforeseen. You never know. And so it's just a good idea to make sure some key pieces of information are documented and made accessible. So somebody in your life knows where it all is. Yeah. As the three of us are recording this, you know, Tiger Woods just in the news and who thought that was going to happen. And, and a friend of mine a few years ago had a documentary a guy named Adam Baker about end of life. And he talked about how in our heads, we always think that life ends at the end of the story. Right. But Abby, to your point, we die in the middle. I want to ask about Everplans before we dive into the book. How did you guys decide to start this company? Could you give me the the origin story of Everplans? Sure. The original idea came about actually when I was planning my wedding. And I was using all of these online sites out there like the knot.com and Martha Stewart's websites. And I was on them every single day on their apps and their guides and their calendars and their checklists. And I say this all the time. I don't know why my brain went from marriage to death, but I started to think about life's over. What's next? Um, but in, you know, what are the other resources that are out there that are going to guide me through the rest of my life in the same way that I've been so owned by these wedding planning resources? And Adam and I uh, met a long time ago. We've now been working together for 10 years. Adam is a repeat, you know, we're both repeat tech entrepreneurs. Adam had just sold his last business. Um, which was a massive uh, photo sharing community. And I said, Adam, who's helping people deal with death? And he said, somebody is. It's the biggest life stage. Not everybody gets married. Not everybody has kids, but everybody has to deal you know, with this. At some point, somebody's doing it. I said, well, I don't know. And so we started looking into it. And after about a year, we were pretty shocked and appalled that there was absolutely nothing going on in this space. And so we decided to change that. And the original idea for Everplans was to create the first modern consumer company in what we now call life and legacy planning. So the service is an online platform that allows people to upload, to store securely, to share, and keep up to date all of the important information, documents, and wishes that they need at their fingertips throughout their lives and that your family might need in the event that something happens to you. There are three parts to your book, and I think it gets to a lot of, I believe, what you guys do at Everplans. But the first part is about getting organized. You have a great story in the book about about this guy in his garage, and he uncovers a safe. Do you remember this story? And they can't uh, tell us the story about the safe, because I think this makes a good point about passwords. 
So this was a story that we were told by one of our colleagues, a former colleague, actually, who said that she was in her dad's garage. And she said, you know, if something, you know, were to happen, where do I find information? He said, oh, you know, well, over here on the side of the the garage is the password written for, I think, the the lockbox or something. You know, she said, well, if I had to get, you know, the deed to the car, the, what is it, the deed, what was the information? Um, How would I possibly have known to go look on the side of the wall where you had written the password for the lock? Like, it was just crazy. So, And what if someone had painted? Right, (laughs) right. I was thinking, Abby, of course you keep it on the garage wall. Isn't that where we all keep our our passwords? Come on. Right, totally. I mean, we all have stories, many, many stories, and we've heard many stories. We all have our own stories about you know, what goes wrong when you're storing passwords, important passwords like that, somewhere like that. Adam, is that the biggest problem that you guys see is that uh, heirs, beneficiaries, friends don't know where the passwords are? Is that the biggest problem or is there a bigger one? No, we think that that's rapidly becoming the biggest problem. And especially now in today's age where people have, I think on average, over 130 different online accounts and you know, you're supposed to be using a different password for each and every one of them. A lot of people don't, but um, it starts to add up. And then you run into this other issue where a lot of the sites make you do two-factor authentication where they send you a text message. And so if you don't have the unlock code for somebody's phone, you might get shut out of everything in their whole life. And so we are maniacal about recommending that people make sure they share some key passwords like their unlock code for their phone or their key email address. We are also really big proponents of password managers. Um, There's a bunch of them out there and they organize your passwords. And what's great is they help you to actually choose random passwords for each site so you're not reusing passwords over and over. So use the ones that, that like my password manager, I don't even know, Adam, what half of my passwords are. The password yeah. manager creates them. I have no idea. That's yeah, exactly I have no right. Idea. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. couldn't live without my password manager today. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know how, I don't know how anybody lives without a password manager. Is this a struggle, Abby, to get older people to use a password manager? Some of our, my, my older family members struggle with technology. Definitely. I mean, I think the good news is that the password managers are doing a better and better job all the time at making their interfaces more user-friendly so that all people can use. And I do think it's overwhelming for older people who are not necessarily trusting of services like password managers to think about um, the idea that they're going to have, that one company is going to have access to all their critical passwords. But so much, I mean, Adam can talk more about the, the security aspects of this. There's so much innovation happening in this space. It's really, really important to use a password manager. And, and I was actually able to get my mom using one, still working on my dad. But I got my mom using one and not only did it change her life because she was not constantly forgetting passwords or she wasn't just using one single password everywhere, but it changed my life because every time I had to help her with some sort of computer or technology problem or getting into a site, I had access to all the passwords too. And so I could get in there with her and and get to the bottom of things really quickly. And for people that think that a password manager is a pain, I have to just tell our stacker friends that I did too. I don't know about you guys when you started using your password. When I first started using, I thought it was a real pain in the ass. I didn't like it. Three weeks later, Abby, I was with you. I couldn't live without it. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Definitely. We use one password manager in our office for work. I use a different one for my personal use. 
there are differences in the different types of password managers that are out there. And so it's worthwhile. If one really doesn't work for you, try a different one. Much like when you were talking earlier about planning your wedding and using a website and a checklist, in the first section of your book, you talk about creating a home operating system. What does that look like, guys? How does that work? There are so many things that go on in your home that could make life miserable for someone in your family if you haven't shared the information. And in most families, you know, certainly in mine, my wife and I, we divide and conquer, right? She's in charge of certain things and I'm in charge of certain things. And I don't even think about the things that she's in charge of, which means if something happened to her, I would have no idea how certain things are set up. And so, for instance, I'm in charge of the plumber, the electrician, the HVAC, the alarm system. And so what I've done is I've actually used my EverPlan to record all of the key information about those vendors and about those systems. Um, even just simple stuff like the, the master password for the, the internet router and the Wi-Fi. So if something happens to me, she is not pulling her hair out trying to deal with all of these little bitty daily life types of things that, that can really add up and make life miserable. That's what I always hear about from people when loved ones pass away. That's not the big things. It's that mountain atom of little things that get you. And we, we just have this story that we, we've been talking about recently of a dear family friend whose husband passed away unexpectedly a few months ago was saying, look, he had, he actually had a lot of planning done. He had done his will. He had his power of attorney. He had all of his financial accounts um, and assets properly organized. And she knew where everything was. It was all buttoned up. The one thing that was eating her now was that he was the one who changed all of the light bulbs in their house. And they had apparently some sort of special light bulb that they used everywhere. She said, I have no idea where he bought that light bulb. And I don't know how he, you know, what he did. He was in charge of the light bulbs. And she said, and that's the thing that's keeping me up at night. And so we, we're just trying to get people to kind of look around their home or think about what are the things in the, in the household that you're the one who takes care of. And that if for whatever reason you were no, you know, you weren't able to take care of those things anymore, would the other people in your household be totally lost? Well, and I think about a company, how a company has a procedures manual, like a place like Everplans, I imagine ends up becoming a procedures manual for your family. I want to, I want to get to what you said about wills. The whole middle part of your book is about estate planning. Where should people start with their estate plan if they haven't done it yet? Well, we think a lot of people out there have misconceptions about wills. They think that they're just for rich people or people with a lot of assets. And one of the reasons why people do wills is because it's where you name guardians for your children. And so you don't have to be old and you don't have to be rich to need a will to make sure that you name a guardian for your children. Because if you don't do it, some judge in some court will end up doing it if something happens. And, you know, we've all got crazy brothers or sister-in-laws or aunts or something like that, who we absolutely would not want our children ending up with. And so it's worth the time to sit down and do your will, um, no matter what age you are. How come everybody can think of a person immediately? Like when, yeah. <laughs> when you were talking about that, Adam, one person came to my mind in our family. I'm like, nope, don't, don't want that person. But what about our younger listeners that don't have kids yet? Is there a piece of estate planning that's really important for them too? Yeah. When you turn 18, everybody should do a HIPAA authorization form uh, naming your parents as people that can see your medical records, because a lot of parents don't realize this, but your kids go away to college. If something happens to them. They go to the hospital. You can't call the hospital to get any information about their condition unless they filled out a HIPAA authorization form. And then on top of that, you know, while you're at it, you might as well do a healthcare proxy that 
names your parents or one of your parents as a healthcare proxy so they can actually make medical decisions for you if something happens. And as you can see, these kinds of things are not necessarily even estate planning. Oh, good it's point. just being a responsible person, you know, organization. We call it adulting, you know, just how to be a responsible adult because it's not necessarily that you need these things because you're dead. You might just need these things because you got hit by a bus or you're on a trip around the world and you can't get back and you're stuck on a cruise because of COVID. So you just never know when you're going to need access to important information. And so we try to get people thinking about all of the, those types of things, whether it's legal documents that they need or, you know, what's the Wi-Fi password to your apartment? Yeah. And how it all dovetails together, I think, is amazing. And in your list of all the things big and small in your book for people to look at, I was surprised and I shouldn't have been because you two are so detailed in the book with everything. But I turned the page and you have this whole two pages about your pets. And nobody thinks about what happens to my buddy Cooper over here who's sleeping on the job while I'm doing the heavy lifting of this interview. But we don't think about that. And I know for a lot of people, their pet is their best friend. Tell me a little bit about planning for pets when you pass away. Yeah, a lot of people don't even have kids. They just have pets. Um, and their pets, like you said, are their kids. And you should just think about if, some, you know, God forbid something happens to you, do you have a plan for what you would want to happen to your dog or your cat? Who's going to take care of them? Have you set up any funds that would be able to be helpful in taking care of the pet? Are there any certain medications that your pet takes? Any, any certain food? Um, I have a dog that he just, you know, in the past few months has gone blind and become diabetic. Mm -hmm. He has a massive care routine that my, the, actually, I was thinking about it today that if, if my husband gets hit by a bus, I actually don't know how to take care of our dog. This is all very new. And I need to know, you know, he needs to tell me how to do those things, but we need to tell somebody else how to do those things. Because if something were to happen to us and we care about our pet, we want to make sure that he gets taken care of. You end the book by talking about uh, really in a very uplifting way, which is this is about your life story, right? And this is about writing your life story. Tell me a little bit about that, getting started on writing your life story. Why would I want to do that? What's the impact of people you've seen that have done that? Because I thought this was a really powerful section. Yeah. And writing your life story means something different to different people. In the book, I think we call it Spill Your Life. And we break it down into, I think, six sections. So it, it, it almost feels like, like six rounds. So it feels a little bit like a game show. And we ask some questions. You know, what are the types of things that you would want to pass along? You know, whether it's tips or, or stories from your life or even information about your family that nobody else from the next generation is likely to know unless you record it for them at this point. It can really span a, a broad spectrum of things. We spend a lot of time talking about things like family recipes that people might want to make sure get handed down from generation to generation. And Abby and I each put um, one of our favorite recipes into you the book. Did, yeah. The chili. Yes. I've been working on that for 30 years trying to it's perfect really that good. recipe. It's a really good recipe. I've made it a number of times. <laughs> And, and I'm not shy about sharing it with people, but I want to make sure my family has it right. I would love for that to be the type of thing that my kids make with their kids someday. And so we help people to think about those types of things in their life. You don't have to write an autobiography. You don't have to publish a whole memoir book, but there's certain types of things that we can prompt you to think about that you can just list out for people in your family so that they don't just evaporate someday. 
I love people doing this when they're giving it to uh, family members when they're alive. My mom actually did this for us over the holidays uh, for all of us kids, gave us pictures from when they were kids, thoughts and writing. It was just this, this lovely book. And it was one of the best gifts I've ever gotten. Like a lot of these pictures I'd never seen and things that would have been lost had I not, uh, had I not gotten that from her. And the cool thing is she gave it to us at a time that I can still ask her questions, right? She didn't wait until after she passed away, she did it now. So we could talk about it, which was, which was really fun. We had a really fun conversation around that. And then the last section of the book really talks about personalization and how you customize um, the plan that you're working on so that, you get what you want out of it. And we, we help you think through everything from what we just talked about, sort of the, how do you spill your life so your family knows about the values that you want to make sure that get communicated to future generations about the things that make up who you are, to things like recipes, to heirlooms that you might have that you want to make sure get passed down to certain people, all the way to, we help you write your own obituary and we help you plan your funeral. And then lastly, there's sort of a funny section in the book, which is helping you think through how to remove the skeletons in your closet. Mm -hmm. And this one's gotten a little bit of attention too. people always say, well, what, what do you mean by that? Like, what, what, what's a skeleton in your closet? And I say, well, everything from the love note, you know, the ex-boyfriend's love notes that are in your desk drawer that you don't want your husband to find, but for some reason you keep and you haven't thrown out to medications that you might be taking that you don't want other people knowing about to uh, a whole variety of things that you might have in your home that might be embarrassing. We we try to get you thinking about what are those things that you have that, first of all, you could just throw away now. Um, but if you don't, and you don't want anyone else finding out about them, that there's at least somebody in your life who you kind of come over and if something happens to you, cleans out your, cleans out your medicine cabinet or your, or your desk drawer. I'm just thinking about an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and I won't go into it more than <laughs> the fact that one of the characters was having a procedure. He didn't want his wife to find some stuff, so he sent Larry over to his house, and Larry got caught with the guy's stuff. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was an awkward, of course. <laughs> awkward thing. I love going page by page and just checking and thinking, I didn't think about that. And these are the types of things, guys, you think about once, you create a plan, and then you put it away, and it's much better than it was before. Usually, I like to have one takeaway, but I actually today want to have two. Let's start off with the book, In Case You Get Hit by a Bus, How to Organize Your Life Now for When You're Not Around Later. It's available everywhere, guys? Everywhere. Anywhere books are sold. And if you buy a copy of the book, you'll get a free year of Everplan service. And the way to find out how to do that is go to incasethebook.com. All the instructions for how to uh, redeem your free year will be there at encasethebook.com. And and I was actually going to ask just about Everplans if somebody just wanted to go right there. It's just everplans.com. But I'm thinking if I get a year with the book anyway, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I go through the book as well? You should do that. You should buy the book. It's about $17.95 on Amazon. Although I think they're, it's down to $16.16 on Amazon. They change their pricing all the time. But it's available on Amazon. Buy the book. Then you'll get a free year of Everplan service, which has a $75 value. Awesome. And we'll link to both the book and uh, to Everplans on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Abby and Adam, thanks so much for hanging out and talking about getting hit by a bus with me. I re- really appreciate it. Great talking to you, For having Joe. us, Joe. I've never said that phrase before. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, stackers, I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. 
Did you know that the Girl Scouts of America was founded on this date in 1912? You know what that means, right? Girl Scout cookies and the age-old debate. Which is better? The Thin Mint, Dosey Do's, or the Shortbread? Doesn't matter, because it's definitely not those gross Samoa things. Who puts coconut on anything and expects people to live through it? I mean, if you want to taste garbage, I'll just sample some of Joe's mom's meatloaf. <laughs> Whoa. Might have said that too loud. Anyway, anyway, this year, oh boy, do I have an idea that might be one of the greatest I've ever had. But before we go there, let's get to today's trivia. The question is, how many boxes of Girl Scout cookies are sold each year? I'll be back with the answer before you can tear into a box of tagalongs. Now, there's another good one. For those of you who are new to this podcast, we have a year-long competition going on between our three main contributors, Len, OG, and Paula Pant from Afford Anything. And Dana, you're playing on behalf of Paula today. Paula, oh, I'm sorry, Paula. <laughs> Paula, Paula <laughs> normally, at this point in the year, is in last place. However, we've got something different happening here, folks, because uh, Paula has three, OG has three. And Len has three. So as the two-time reigning champion, Len will go first. OG will go in the middle. And Paula, who seems to finish last every year, which means, Dana, you get to go last. So, Len, okay. how many Girl Scout cookies get sold in a year? Boxes or individual cookies? Boxes. Gosh, you know what? If it's my family, I mean, my gosh, we buy probably – a dozen boxes a year. I kid you not, a dozen boxes a year at least. I mean, we just love them. Oh my gosh, I'm just one family. Let me see. Um, I don't know. Let's see. There's 300. What? How many? 350. This is in America or worldwide? This is all of them. How many do they sell? All right. So I'll just assume. I don't know if there's even Girl Scouts in other countries. Um, I'll just say USA. So that's 300 million ish people and how many of those are households let's say i have no idea i'll guess 100 million households so and i will say 40 percent of those households buy the cookies and i'll say if they're like my family that's uh <laughs> that's <laughs> 10 this is how an engineer thinks folks uh <laughs> 40 million. I think this is how an engineer procrastinates. No, 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 no. I'm going to say 57 million boxes of cookies. 57 million boxes. OG? <laughs> I was not following any of that math, so I have to do mine. <laughs> we were just talking about this and how Uncle OG and Aunt OG are, uh, we have a Girl Scout in our family and she knows to come to us last with the I'm trying to win the TV. And we're like, how many do you need? She's like, I need like uh, 50. And I'm like, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> only, only $150. Let's, what, what's beyond the TV? Trip to Colorado? What's that one? If you sell 1000 let's do that one. Uncle OG is hooking you up. By the way, stop by the OG residence anytime you want to tag along. Yeah. All right. So I like what Len was thinking, 100 million households. Uh, the uptake on that is probably 10%. You know, 10% of people are buying Girl Scout cookies, maybe less than that. Uh, so that's 10 million households. I'm going to be more conservative. I, I think that the average the average buyer is going to be less 
vociferous in their Girl Scout cookie buying that made me lend. So his number was 57 million. I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to take a little lower number. I'm going to say 30 million, 30 million boxes. 30 million. Well, Dana, I think the last time you were here, we played the closest without going over. We got rid of that rule. So now it's just the closest. So now it's just the closest. Well, I am not an engineer and I love doing all the math calculations when it matters, but you <laughs> are know, you saying this doesn't matter? <laughs> Wait, hold. We do this every week. Of course it matters, Dana. I'm sure it matters to Paula. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I've taken her spot. I'm just going to give a wild guess out there. My initial gut reaction was about 23 million. So I'll go with that. 23 million. We got Len at 57 million OG, 30 million, Dana, 23 million. Of course, we'd love to let you know who's uh, who's got it right, but uh, we can't right yet. So we, we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad free privacy. You can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Len, you kicked it off with $57 million and it seems like you're more Girl Scouty. Uh, you're more profit margin for the Girl Scouts than either OG <laughs> or Dana. You're you're way higher than either one of those two. Yeah, and, and listening to OG, I may have overestimated. I said 40% in my calculations of, of the households buy them, and I'm probably way over. I think OG's right. It's probably 10 or 5%, but... Uh, we'll see. Maybe, maybe my number, uh, cause I'm estimating people are buying more than one box. So maybe that makes the difference. We'll see. 
Oh, gee, Dana went south of you, so you've got uh, you got the middle ground. But um, feeling confident? Uh, not in the least. <laughs> but Dana seems very confident with her <laughs> wild guess. Just a guess. Well, Doug, fill us in, man. Who's closest? Hey, stackers. So get this. Because old Doug is such a softy, I always seem to be the guy Girl Scouts seem to come to when they need help selling just a few more boxes of cookies. Well, this guy has learned a lesson from writing several bad checks. And this year, I'm only giving advice on how to improve your sales, young ladies. It's all about the focus, people. Here's a case study, Girl Scouts. Did you see the story a couple of years ago about the girl who set up her table outside the legal marijuana dispensary? I mean, that girl made a killing. And today, she's probably on the board of directors of some major corporation. So there's a lesson for you. Learn from the best and from the potheads. That's what I always say. Okay, let's get back to the trivia. The question was, how many boxes of Girl Scout cookies are sold each year? Would you believe a whopping 200 million boxes of these delectable prizes are sold every year? I mean, that's like 199 million, get your hands off my Thin Mints, that box is mine, and like a million, hey, you want some more Samoas? Because these are gross. I don't even want them. See ya! What? Wow. <laughs> a lot more. Incredible. Got more cookie eating going on. Yeah. And OG's like, yeah, half of those are in my basement. Oh, but, they're in my belly. <laughs> in my belly. Freezer. They're so good. Absolutely. What's your favorite one, OG? Uh, oh, we only buy Thin Mints, except for Mrs. OG gets the peanut butter ones. What are the peanut butter ones? Yeah, the ones See, that... Tagalongs. Aren't they the Tagalongs? Tagalongs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we freeze them all. And we have, we need a separate freezer just for our Girl Scout cookie stash. Are those the ones you can dunk? The dunk in... in uh... I'm unsure yeah. about what... Uh, what Tagalongs have the chocolate coating on them. There's another kind of peanut butter one that's just like a sandwich cookie. It's yeah. like a butter. Yeah, yeah. That's my favorite one, and I can never yeah. remember the name. But I'm with Doug. The Samoas are gross. So, uh, Len, back in the lead. Not even close, Len. All that math, you're not even close, but you're still in the lead. You were closer <laughs> than these two yahoos. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. <laughs> a win's a win. Hey, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money, guys. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. Dana, you know what happens when you go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money? What? <laughs> That's the suitably wonderific. Like the, I don't know, Joe, tell me. Those financial products from your brick and mortar bank use every day, usually nowhere near the best in class. Magnify Money looks at over 92% of the products online, all ranked at magnifymoney.com from savings accounts to checking accounts to uh, CD rates, from debt consolidation loans to reward credit cards. They're all ranked stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. I had an interesting email come in in the last couple of weeks. This one came from Scott, who had a question I thought you guys could help us with. Scott writes, I had a question might be good for the show. I have long-term treasury bonds in my portfolio with the hope that they'll spike at the stock market crashes, allowing <laughs> I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Scott OG did that. Uh, with the hope that they'll spike at the stock market crashes, allowing me to sell them and buy stocks for cheap. Some have suggested we may be higher. We may be heading toward a market crash soon. 
If the stock market crashes while we have near zero interest rates, will long-term treasuries still spike or does that only occur when interest rates are cut? OG, you pressed that button. So what are you thinking? I, I have so many thoughts. Some about Girl Scout cookies still, as a matter of fact. Mostly about Girl Scout cookies. Frankly. Focus. Focus, my friend. Uh, focus. Okay. All right. Just a few more ways. All right. Get your together, OG. So this is one of those things that if you bought long-term treasuries, meaning so, so that means you're lending money to the government for a really long time, you actually were wildly rewarded over the last year even though under normal circumstances, you would have thought that you wouldn't have been because the trade-off between the interest rate that you're getting and the price that you have to pay for that interest rate is kind of an inverse relationship. So you think about it like a teeter-totter. If interest rates go down, then your price of your bond or probably has a bond fund, let's say, the price of that bond fund is going to go up. So you see that capital appreciation. You put 10000 in, all of a sudden it's worth 12000 type of thing. And then there's a multiplier effect on that interest rate change based on how long the bonds are that you bought. So if he said, Hey, I got some long-term bonds and interest rates went down a percent. He probably got a 20 or 30% year last year in his treasuries. But the inverse of that is also true. Meaning that interest rates are really low, arguably as low as they've ever been. Arguably they're not going to be any lower than this. Although the negative interest rate people would say that negative is possible. And so in theory, the only place that interest rates can go is up. And because of the fact that that multiplier effect occurs on how long that bond is, when you get that long-term bond, that's just going to multiply the impact of that interest rate rise in terms of a negative price. So you you just, again, think about like a teeter-totter. You know, if you've got a really long duration bond and a really big interest rate change, you're going to have a really, really big price change and it's not going to be favorable. So I'm concerned about that from from the perspective of the efficacy of this plan because independent of what the stock market does or doesn't do, I think we all kind of assume that interest rates can't stay where they are forever. So when they do go up, whether it's in a year from now or six months from now or five years from now, there's going to be a pretty big correction in that adjustment of your of the value of your positions. And then you're not going to have as much to invest anyway, regardless of what you want to do with it. So, But I'm thinking, Dana, that what Scott's talking about, while OG went over how bonds work in the long term, I think what Scott's talking about is this flight to quality that happens, right? Where the market for a little bit is is stupid, irrational, kind of like when people go out and buy the stock in a failing video game retailer or struggling <laughs> video, maybe not failing, but struggling video game retailer. So I think he's looking at treasuries in this, you know, we've heard about flight to quality in the past. Do you think there'd be a flight to quality moment when Scott could maybe make a killing with his treasuries? I mean, anything can happen, right? What I heard in that question was hope. And I don't think hope is a good investment plan. So when we're buying something with the hope that a certain thing is going to happen, such as an impending market crash, I've had clients call me and say, there's going to be an impending market crash. They said so. Well, who is they? So I always want to know, who are these people that know what's going to happen? Why are they telling you? And, and so I see investors make 
decisions based on these things that rarely actually pan out the way they think it's going to pan out. So I I don't like those types of short-term market timing strategies. I don't think it's the right way to build an investment plan. You're hoping for an anomaly or, or something that may or may not happen. I prefer to own equities for the long run. I feel highly confident in what they might deliver over long time frames. And if I need my money on a shorter time frame, I'm going to have it in something less volatile. And if I need it on a shorter time frame because of everything OG said, I'm not going to own long-term treasuries because I don't want to see that price decrease when interest rates go up. So, so those are my thoughts. We got good news though, Dana. We have an expert here on market corrections. Mr. Len Penzo has called 18 of the last two downturns. So he's fantastic at it. Uh, Len, Len, what do you think about Scott's strategy? Well, that's up to you. I think bonds are bonds are in a 40-year bull market. And as OG alluded to, when you see the interest rates of a bond, the price of the bond goes opposite to the yield. So uh, we're already close to the zero bound, uh, which tells you that really bonds don't have much further to go up realistically, um, yes, they could go negative and the price could go higher. But you were at the point now where it's almost like the greater fool theory. You're hoping that you can just sell your bonds at a higher price. Uh, so you got to be careful there. I think bonds are probably more overpriced than the stock market at the moment. Um, the other thing that, that I did note in the question was you were uh, – it was Scott, right? He, it was, Scott, you are talking yeah. about if they cut rates. So I assume you're alluding to the Fed cutting rates. The Fed rate is not and the long bond do not move in tandem. In fact, the long bond is not really affected by the Fed funds rate. It's the Fed funds rate. When they do a a cut, that affects the short end of the bond spectrum. It's actually not bond. It's bills. Anything less than uh, I think one year is a bill and a between one and nine years is a note and 10 or longer is a bond. So yes, if the Fed cuts rates, which I don't really think they can do because they're already at the zero bound, but if they somehow manage to figure out a way to do that, that would only affect the short end of the bond curve, not the long end. So so to, to wrap it up, agreeing with OG and Dana, you don't like this strategy, it sounds like? Yeah, no. Thanks for the question, Scott. If you've got a question for us, Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. By the way, if you send us a voicemail, we'll send you a Stacking Benjamins Haven Life Greatest Money Show on Earth t-shirt. So Scott doesn't get one of those, but we love the question because I think a lot of people don't understand how bonds work. So I think what's implied in this question, Dana, is a lot of people think that stocks and bonds are the teeter-totter, you know, that the stocks and bonds go opposite, and that's totally not true. Yeah, and I think, just a lot of the headlines we see make people think that timing all of this is easier than it is. So they get this idea in their head that suddenly they can, you know, move this around, switch this, be smart with their money. They think that's what being smart with their money is. And it's not that easy. Remember, in late February, bonds and stocks were both falling at the, they were both falling and bonds were falling much faster than stocks were falling. So, uh, you know, it's not a given that if stocks are going down, bonds are going to make up the, make up the difference. It usually happens, but not always. Well, that's going to do it for today, guys. Thanks a ton for playing. We'll have our guest of honor go last, find out what Dana's up to. But, uh, OG, what do you got going on this weekend, my friend? Oh, another uh, beautiful after-school activity going on this weekend and rolling 
smack dab into spring break after that. So, wow. uh, so just, uh, have had two full weeks of work and just ready for a week break. Sadly, we're not going anywhere. We're just hanging out, but, um, Hang close to home after Saturday. You, you know, OG, there are some people, you and I have not lived in Texas forever, but there is a uh, friend of mine that said some of the old timers around here are talking about the fact that the Farmer's Almanac says there's going to be another, yet one more snowstorm. Think there's going to be a second snowstorm of the century here? Uh, no, that would defeat the naming of it being a snowstorm <laughs> of the century. There were two of them. I might submit to the courts that uh, the snowstorm of the century has already, in fact, occurred. Therefore, it is impossible impossible for it to occur again. That, that, that sounds like hope right there. Dana was talking about hope earlier. Hoping that doesn't happen. Mr. Penn Spring in Texas. That's what I said, too. I'm like, are you crazy? No, no, it's not happening again. Mr. Penzo, what's going on at LenPenzo.com, my friend? Hey, OG, let me just say this. While there cannot be two storms of the century this century, there can be a storm of the millennium, which you have not had yet, right? So you could have the storm of the century and the storm of the of the millennium. You just give it There's a bigger name. The storm of the, of the future century. We could like just say that over the last hundred years from today backwards, we had one. It was two weeks ago. And now from the next hundred years moving forward, we have another one. And, and, and then you're done. Or, or it you could be the storm of the five, like a 500 year storm. Just give it a bigger See? name, just a different name. Yeah. A storm of the quadrennial. Right. <laughs> uh, at uh, LenPenzo.com this week, uh, we look at the history of money and uh, we go over some fun facts about about money, about how what was money used in the long, you know, way back when? What did they use? You know, they actually used cows. Cows were the first form of money. Did you know that? Is this Grandpa Penzo telling more damn stories? This is no, this from his is childhood? real stuff. This nope. is real stuff, Joe. Nope, nope. Only at lenpenzo.com and the persistent <laughs> itch. The only place you find look, I have to have a niche, right? You guys all cover the 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 Nobel Prize winners and the and the uh and the Pulitzer Prize winners and the presidents yes. and all the financial experts. I, this is my niche. Okay. The, these kind of whimsy things. We get the so Dana on Spocks here. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yes. The Dana, you have the Danas here. You have I, all the credible people. This is my little niche. <laughs> Don't make fun of it. Come on by people. You will learn something. You I, will learn. I was not making fun of it at all. I was making fun of you. <laughs> not your site. Your site is awesome. I will make fun of you a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> Dana, thanks for hanging out again. I really appreciate you coming back. So much fun. It is so much fun. So you were telling me that you have a new course? I do. So the great courses, if you haven't heard of them, they've been around for a long time. And they usually have professors teach their courses. It's an extensive vetting process. It took two years to produce this course. Wow. Uh, but I, yeah, it was crazy. I had to learn to read off a teleprompter. It is not easy. Oh my gosh. I can't believe how challenging that was, but we recorded it all last fall. I had to fly uh, back to Virginia in the middle of the pandemic to record and uh, the course was released January 1st. It's how to plan for the perfect retirement. It's a series of 12 lectures and it covers all different phases. So there's a phase on those just starting out as well as the five years prior to retirement, the first five years of retirement, later retirement, Social Security, Medicare, taxes, all of that. 
And uh, it's gotten great reviews so far. So it's fun to have it over and done with and out there. That's really cool. I can't imagine even doing that. Just just going through that. You must have been exhausted. It was exhausting. I did not realize how much work it was going to be. I think it was harder than actually writing a book. You write all the lectures, they all get edited, they get proofed, you have to re-edit, rewrite, and then you have to practice reading it. And it's supposed to sound natural, but you're, you've got all these lights and cameras staring at you. And it, it's, it's a challenge. My respect level for teleprompter readers has gone up. Better, better. I was going to say better you than me, my friend. I just can't imagine. And do they find a link on your site? We'll link to it on our show notes, but where do people find, find a link? They find it on sensible money or? Um, you know, I don't know that we have it on our site yet. So it's uh, the great courses or the great courses plus, and it's how to plan for the perfect retirement. And I'll definitely make sure you have links to it. Awesome. We'll link to that. And also if people just want to reach you, it's at sensiblemoney.com. Correct. Awesome. That's going to do it for today, everybody. Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our roundtable. Retiring isn't as simple as going to a tropical beach somewhere. You need to make sure you have a plan for productive ways to spend your time, and your money plan will follow. Second, take some advice from Abby and Adam. What's your plan so everyone knows all the passwords and key documents, or even how to work the lights? Maybe there's some weekend fun to work on today, huh? But the big lesson... Don't talk about Joe's mom's meatloaf or you're going to get cut off even from the peach cobbler. Come on, Ma. I mean, like, take away the Samoas and the meatloaf, but not the cobbler. I live on that stuff. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. To learn more about our roundtable, you can reach Dana Onspock at sensiblemoney.com. You can reach Len Penzo at lenpenzo.com. And to learn more about Everplans and the services they offer to help in case you get hit by a bus, you can head over to everplans.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Sihai, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
I think I'm that I'm in the running for father of the year again. I got the coffee mug last year for Father's Day. So I don't know. I don't know if we have to. I think there's only one in the world, isn't there? One father of the year mug that somebody gets and you got it this year. Yeah. And I'm not sure if we've just sent it in. Like if it's like the Lombardi, not the Lombardi trophy. What's the. (laughs) You got to give it to the next guy. The Stanley Cup. Like if we got a. Or Stanley's Cup, if we have to like submit it again and then, and then, you know, and then there's a vote or something. But apparently you, I won last time. It's up to you to send it to Lou in Atlanta for this year. Yeah. I mean, if he wins, but right. I, I think I've got a pretty strong case. Um, so I was settling a dispute with my middle child, uh, William, the other day. He was, uh, he had a sore throat. He wasn't feeling very good. And uh, the reason for the sore throat was because my oldest coughed in his face. Oh, that was the evidence submitted to the court. I said, well, is there a chance that maybe uh, you guys go to the same school and there was just something floating around school and that maybe is how you had a sore throat? No, he coughed in my face. That's how I got it. And so we deliberated for a while and we decided that he just needed to have a stronger immune system. (laughs) (laughs) It was not well received by Will. (laughs) Hashtag science. Duh. So, uh, I just, uh, I, I don't know. I think threw my hat in the ring again for father of the year. I think, um, I think, I think I got it licked again. Another coffee mug coming my way. What we, is that what we were going to tell stories about? I had some, I don't know what the hell you were going to talk about, but mine parlayed nicely into yours. And since you didn't have one <laughs> there, I, cause you forgot. So there I just is. had to make up the intro on my own. Where do we go with this that? Is, Where do we go this with is that? This already now? the, this is the lamest after show it ever. Totally that was a pretty funny thing. Are you kidding me? For those people who know me, they know exactly how funny that actually is. Cause <laughs> it's not make believe one, one little bit. Is it Joe? Like no, that I would say it is not. to William. Yeah, dude, that sounds like you just need a tougher immune system. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Suck it up buttercup. Yeah. Rub some dirt in it. Yeah. And let's get out of life. That's right. Yeah. But I just don't know where to go with that now. OG. we're like, Hey data, you ever <laughs> cough at anybody's face? i don't know what we do we did have during the holidays in our family we the the checks mix that my mom made was just revered was just so awesome and she would make this big thing of checks mix and she would just you know the garlicky the better right so she put a just a ton of garlic and well, salt also kills germs See, mom's pretty smart. She helps with the weak immune systems. She's like, I'll just take it out of your hands. My immune system was completely uh, overhauled. You didn't want to get within like five feet of me because I smelled like a ball of garlic after the holidays with with my mom's Chex Mix. But so one year, we all of our families arrive at mom's house and we're sitting around this big table. My mom brings out the big Tupper, huge Tupper, like maybe the biggest one they make, the Tupperware bin with the Chex Mix. And my brother grabs it and opens it. And that huge smell of, of garlic just goes right up his nose and he immediately sneezes right in the Chex Mix. <laughs> you just take mm. off the top layer then, right? No, no. We told him he, he, he marked his territory like it's his. He had all the checks. I wasn't, would you eat? I, I wouldn't go near that. I mean, you just take the top layer off. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, he's going to tell me, Joe, you should have a better immune system. You should have a stronger <laughs> immune system. You can have all the checks mix you want. It reminds me of that um, George Carlin bit and we can't play it because I know you'd be like, hey, let's play it. No, you can't play no. George Carlin. 
it's a little vulgar, but he, uh, that was his thing, you know, like he used to swim in the Hudson river. That's why he had such a strong immune system when he was a kid, you know, Ugh. kept on saying that it was natural selection. I, yeah. I think, I think Len's right. I think we just found our worst. <laughs> after. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Hey Joe, can I go? I'm, I've got some work to do on my train. All right. Later. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.